Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Next interview is with Michael Corrin. He's a journalist who's written a book recently called Epiphany, uh, subtitled A Christian's Change of Heart and Mind Over Same-Sex Marriage. And as you can imagine, if you know Michael, uh, he has created quite a bit of uh, dialogue around the issue already, and the book is getting a lot of press, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. We talk a lot about uh, notions of what uh, uh, Michael calls misplaced Christianity. We talk about atheism and agnosticism and about arrogance being on the left and uh, and on uh, the right. Uh, I think Michael uses the phrase that he's a religious maniac still, which I think is really uh, interesting and, and worth hearing more about as he unpacks his epiphany, his change of heart uh, with respect to how he pr- approaches in a way, I think, kind of almost everything. And he gives us a few uh, inklings about what uh, what he might be working on next. So I uh, hope you enjoyed the interview. I, I think you will. Uh, stay tuned for more here with Michael Corrin. Don't forget to check davidpecklive.com for uh, our whole list of uh, interviews, podcast interviews. We're getting close to over 200. And I uh, hope you enjoyed today's interview with, with Michael. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest today, uh, somebody who I've actually I've been hoping to have on the show for quite some time. Our guest today is Michael Corrin, uh, calling in, I think, from somewhere deep in Toronto. Is that is that right, Michael? Deep in the High Park area, yes, very deep. Deep in the High Park area. And are you enjoying the pond right now as we speak? <laughs> no, I'm sitting in my study looking out on a lovely day. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Excellent. Well, I've been looking forward to chatting with you for some time about about a variety of issues, and I think I think we found our our topic. Uh, your new book, Epiphany, has been getting a fair bit of, uh, of a fair bit of attention. Subtitled, "A Christian's Change of Heart and Mind Over Same Sex Marriage," and we're gonna mm. we're gonna get into some issues around this because I think. Um, well, you've already been getting into issues around it. And, and I think um, one of the things that I've been reading, I've certainly listened to some of your interviews online, I've been reading some of the reviews and so on. For you, what would you say, Michael, has 
been the most surprising thing about the response around the book. Uh, I certainly have my idea of what you might think, but I'd love to hear <laughs> your two cents on that. Um, well, it seems very positive. Uh, that surprised me a little. I thought there'd be more negative response in media. And uh, I mean, I've been so kindly treated generally and also just so extensively covered. Uh, I, you, you couldn't have purchased better media coverage than this. So that's been wonderful. Um, yeah, there's always a little bit of frustration. People are, to be quite candid with you, reviewers who clearly haven't read the book. I mean, there was one magazine, and it was, well, there were two, actually. They're entirely obvious that he hadn't read the book. Um, wasn't One of them wasn't that critical, uh, but he just simply hadn't read it. I was already used to the attacks. I mean, the, the, um, the campaign against me by the Christian right, which was appalling, I mean, it was so bitter, um, that... Uh, you know, that, that, that's been going on for a couple of years. So, in fact, that's rather diminished. There's not much of it left. So that didn't really bother me. Um, and the positive stuff, which has been going on for some time as well, which is so moving, uh, from members of the gay community, but, but outside of the gay community too, from other Christians, uh, and just ordinary people that have no faith at all. Uh, it's been... It's been life-changing. I know that sounds like hyperbole, uh, but it really has been life-changing. I know, I know you mentioned in, a, in an article, I think, that you wrote for, for a, a, a local newspaper that you were absolutely thrilled with Stephen Fry's response to the book. And, and the quote is uh, from Stephen in a, in a wonderful review on, online. Anyone can read it. Quote, I urge anyone interested in the conjunction of faith and free thought to read this engrossing and fascinating book. Close quote. That must have been a huge surprise to you. Well, that... Um yeah, that was one of the highlights of my life, really, because I'm a huge fan of, of uh, Stephen Fry. And what happened there was that um, we had some lovely reviews from uh, church people and academics. Uh, Sir Dermot McCulloch, professor of church history at Oxford, who is, I mean, I think the finest historian in the English-speaking world, actually, at the moment. He gave it a lovely review. The canon of St. Paul's, sorry, the chancellor of St. Paul's Cathedral gave it a wonderful review. Uh, and then these are marvelous, but Radham House said, can we get a celeb as well? <laughs> <laughs> right, of course. And uh, in Britain, I have, I don't, didn't know Stephen Fry, huge fan, uh, you know, world famous, 12 million followers on Twitter and all this. Um, but I, I do have friends in that uh, sort of field, and so they sent me an email. And I said, well, damn the torpedoes. I sent off, um, actually, I sent off some articles that I'd written really that were precursors, preparations for the for the book. And he wrote back the most extraordinary, long, gracious, generous letter. Um, and we've become friends since then. And he gave me, he wrote an essay really about the book, and we took that out, uh, put that in there. And, he's, and again, that's been one of the great blessings, mm. uh, that he's become a friend. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's the most extraordinary man. So really, are... are isn't, isn't this a book about inclusion? Yes, it, it, I think that's a very perceptive point. It is, and uh, I mean, it's a composite. I mean, and isn't that how Fry responded to you, right? Um, I mean, probably not he, how you would have, or at least I wouldn't have expected that. Well, he's, a very, he's a profound man. I mean, he, he's an extremely deep thinker, and although he's an atheist, uh, alas, a lot of contemporary atheists are uh, they're, they're, they're really they're dull I mean, they're bored because they, they they think by shouting and swearing <laughs> right. and talking about right. sky gods and tooth fairies they're making a point. I mean, darling, it is so banal. So, uh, I mean, I, I knew Chris Hitchens a bit. I used to work with him when I was very young. Mm. I'm a new statesman, a man of enormous wit, who, on a personal level, was extremely gracious. 
And Stephen Fry is the same. And they're in a different league from, mm. from many atheists out there. So they do want to take on people who use... I mean, I, I, I couldn't speak for Stephen Fry, but I think it, it's people who use their faith uh, to bully and hurt others. If you see his, uh, his meetings and, and conversations with, with the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, the last one, again, a, a great intellectual, it was very productive. When... when when clear, open minds can meet. Stephen talks about doubt. Doubt is reckless. This is the point about modern Christianity. Doubt is from God. Doubt mm. is absolutely essential mm. to a living faith. What has happened, though, particularly out of, coming out of North American evangelicalism, is doubt is frightening. Doubt you have to reject, right. fear, and, and flee from. And that is childish. It's childlike. And it makes the faith look absurd. So what we have now... I mean, this just happened to me. I, I was effectively... Uh, ostracized, abused, insulting, insulted by many people in the evangelical world and the right-wing Catholic world. Uh, they, instead of maybe listening to what I was saying, and not always agreeing, but just listening, it was, we have to silence him, we have to abuse him, wow. we have to attribute base motive. And that's very sad. Well, it's very sad, and it, I mean, it really isn't at all about 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 dialogue or conversation or about coming to a better understanding or about grace or about inclusion or about yeah. any of the things that seem to me not only should matter to any faith base but to just to people in general i mean am i being a little too trite and corny there <laughs> no i i think um i mean it is an ideal world it's hard to achieve but mm. I mean, this uh, from a christian point of view i mean we're in rough times <clears throat> because the, uh, in fact, the next book I intend to write, just waiting out for Anna House to cough up the money. <laughs> but then it's it, how, how does whatever your belief, and I've heard every atheist argument there is, by the way, I mean, you're not going to shock me with anything, but uh, the, the faith right now, if you ask most people to name Christians, they will name people like Ted Cruz and Franklin Graham. And people like this, and the Christians want to uh, oppose abortion and, and homosexuality and pornography. And, and what the hell has this got to do with the life of a genuine revolutionary who makes Karl Marx look uh, rather, rather bland? Right. And we really have misplaced Christianity, and we have to take it back. We have to take it back from a Christian right that has completely uh, soaked it in, in this acid of... of, of mindless patriotism and militarism. Now, I feel this, I was never quite part of that group, but my God, I did my bit. You know, I, I was a conservative Catholic. I used all the arguments. I, I made some of the arguments, and I've seen it at first hand. I think that's what particularly hurts, well, not hurts them, but angers them. Right. Because they know I was there. Well, you were you were on our side, Michael. What what gives? I'm sorry? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they yeah. must be saying. And I, and I think what makes me crazy about all of this is the polarization of it, Michael. I, I, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, a letter in your book that you quote, and right now I can't think of the name of who it's from, but it's from a, a Catholic uh, leader of some kind. And he refers to, uh, maybe it was an email, but he refers to a, um, uh, a, a Catholic truth. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but think, and I was looking forward to chatting about this. I mean, what exactly is a Catholic truth? So, so yeah, I guess I guess my point is is you know so so in other words, there are a variety of truths, and we're just going to latch onto one. So, Michael, have well, you actually abandoned Catholic truths? It, it doesn't know? mean anything. I mean, if, <laughs> right. it, if, if it's raining, is it Catholic raining or not? I mean, it, it's not, it's a phrase that you'll hear used, but it is meaningless. Mm. Uh, you know, I had the three emails I quoted. Oh, hang on. You were sorry. Here it is. Quote: You were a bold voice for Catholic truth. 
quote. Which one's that from? Is that Patrick Coffin? Yes, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I read it some time ago. And uh, that was, uh, if it is him, and I haven't heard from him at all since, and I'm sure he knows it's in the book, I'm sure he has a copy of the book, but he has a radio show, uh, he's Canadian actually, but in the United States, and a yeah, good guy. Anyway, I was always on his show, and I wrote a book about the Islamic persecution or the Islamic radical persecution of Christians in uh, Pakistan and the Middle East and so on. Nothing to do with sexuality. And he refused. But he didn't have me on the show. And I thought, it's very strange. He always has me on the show. And he wouldn't respond to emails. And finally, I said, Patrick, just what gives? Fine, if you want me on, it's your show, but why? And that's when he told me what it's... And this was before I'd come out in favor of equal mm. marriage. Mm. I just asked for a new conversation about homosexuality. Let, let, me, let me say this quite clearly, because I'm, I'm really tired, actually, of the bullshit. Let me say this quite clearly. A huge number of those people who, who are Christian, who say they are loving people, but they simply believe marriage is the union of one man and one woman, are lying. Mm. And I'm going to say this again, they are lying. Wow. I've, I've, seen, I've seen at first hand what they really think. Now, if you believe marriage is one man and one woman... That doesn't make you homophobic, it, and, and I understand the gay community thinks it does. No, uh, I know people who are very loving, uh, who are good people, but they believe that marriage is something distinct. Okay, we may disagree, but the people I encountered, they were obsessed with this issue. Right. And here, for example, here was a case where all I had done was to call for a new conversation where we were called here, where we didn't use words like sin and disorder, where we tried to reach out and form a new circle of conversation, and for that. I was told I couldn't appear on a Catholic radio station talking about the Islamist persecution of Christians. Now, what does that say about people? That you becoming gentler about the gay issue disqualifies you from speaking up for Christians who are being slaughtered by Islamic radicals. Um, take the case of World Vision. World Vision, which is a marvelous charity in the U.S., and this was about two years ago, maybe more, they came out with a statement uh, that people in the same-sex relationship could work for World Vision. So, in other words, if you're in a, in a gay relationship, you'll be allowed to change the diapers of men dying mm. in front of you. You'll mm. be able to pull the maggots out of decaying flesh of children in Africa. Now, you think, well, yeah. Within 24 hours, the evangelical world, not just the right. Yes, in an uproar. Fairly, fairly mainstream evangelicals. What they said, and this is really what it came down to, if you do this, African babies will die. If you allow gay people to give their lives to helping the poor in, for your charity, we will take away funding. So in other words, if you show love to gay people, African kids will die. I think that, for me, was the moment I realized I either top myself. I mean, I either end it now. Right. Or, or, or jump jump off the old Islington Bridge, yeah. I mean, I simply can't be part of this world anymore. Right. Whatever, you know, whenever someone says, I don't want to bake a cake, I don't want to make a wedding dress, shut up, you know. Go out there, spend time with the poor and the homeless, um, take the money for the cake, and if you really object, then that money to, to someone on the street. I'm so sick and tired of the hypocrisy. I, what I've seen in the past couple of years has... Look, I would never for an instant claim to know what it's like to be a gay person facing persecution. But maybe I've just seen a shadow, an indication of what it's like. Uh, and particularly gay Christians who've stayed in churches, often knowing that they are despised by people around them. It's not theological. Um, mm. The scripture, Jesus, 
doesn't mention homosexuality. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't have an opinion on it, but he doesn't mention it. He does mention divorce, by the way. He condemns divorce several times. There are people in churches who will not turn a, a hair at someone who was divorced once or twice, even right. three times. Right. But if a gay person comes in, what are you doing here? Well, don't you... you hypocrite. You, Absolute you, well, hypocrite. Well, your, your line from the book is, quote, so many layers of double standards, inconsistency, and hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's kind of what you're saying, right? So, okay, we'll pick and choose the issue we're going to get upset about or we're going to, just because we're afraid of it or because we don't understand it or because it so stands outside of our notion of what's true. And these are the people who, who call liberal Christians cafeteria Christians. You pick and choose what you want to believe. No, I'm afraid you're the ones who pick and choose. If, if, I say this in the book. If, um, if someone from another world came and said, now, the Bible has been very influential in the culture of, of, your, of your planet. And it, it, there's a lot of stuff about homosexuality in it, isn't there? That's what they would think. Mm. Because we, mm. there are about six references. The Bible's a big book. It hardly mentions the issue at all. It does mention love, inclusion, right. justice, forgiveness, helping the poor, embracing the stranger. It goes on and on about that. So why, so why has this very large group of people defined it by what it isn't? It's a good question. I don't know if I have the, the answer. I mean, I'm going to address that in my next book, and I have to do a lot of thinking about that. I, I think that um, and it wasn't always the case, that there was always a conservative wing in Christianity. But if you think about the anti-slavery movement, I mean, there were Christians mm-hmm. who supported mm-hmm. slavery, but the entire anti-slavery movement was evangelical. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't use the word then. I mean, yes. The word would exist if it had a different meaning. But if you think about people in North America, and then you think about uh, Wilberforce and, and Clarkson and Newton and the, and the rest of them, just, even to a violent degree, they, they believed in this. And I mean, Britain, where I'm from, the Labour Party, it was always said the Labour Party owed more to Methodism than Marxism. Right. It, it, was a, it was a product of nonconformist Christianity. It's <laughs> a great line. Yeah, well, the, the, the social movements, I mean, they, they were. So, it, but I think it was a great debate over modernism uh, around that, you know, the 1890s, 1900, early 20th century, when science showed that you know, we, we had to be intelligent about this. The world wasn't made in six days. The world is very old. It's not 6,000 years old. So you'd be able to think otherwise. And instead of using intellect uh, to, to reconcile that with the Word of God, which is really very easy to do, they simply rejected that world. And they rejected all of modernity and went back into literalism. And fundamentalism is, is quite new. The idea that every word uh, is true, there's no room for metaphor, uh, if you think of the Puritans of the 17th century, uh, now we, we, Puritan is used very pejoratively today. Of course, yep. The Puritan, this is, this is the movement of Milton. This is the movement of the people who founded Harvard University. These are the great intellectuals. They rejected, uh, and certainly Catholicism, but, but even a more mainstream Christianity. They may have been, they wanted to purify. I mean, Puritan doesn't mean, uh, you know, anal and, and constipated and, and so on in humorless. It means purifying the church. So those two, we may not have agreed with them, but my golly, they, they had great intellect on their side, and they didn't believe in the literal truth of every word of Scripture. They understood the place of metaphor and poetry and simile and analogy and so on. I mean, they were, look, uh, when Cromwell ruled England, there were certain things that were appalling, and I mean, he treated some people very badly. He could also be very tolerant. He founded Durham University. He readmitted the Jews to England. He, I mean, he had it. So it, it wasn't as simple as we think. But today, 
it's an anti-intellectualism. So, in well, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive form of reductionism, really, isn't it? To, to try yeah. to reduce it to an either-or, to an up and a down, a positive and negative. This is the way it is, therefore. And also, it's a rejection of the world. Mm. So mm. there is a huge Christian market now that has nothing to do with the mainstream world, which is why novels about the end times, the whole Left Behind series, which in an ideal world will be left behind. <laughs> right. they, they sell probably millions, certainly hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies. Uh, and uh, if you look at these movies that, you know, that um, God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2, right. and I'm sure right. God's Not right. Dead 3, you know, they, they are gruesome. They are so bad. We laugh at them, but they make money. They make, they money. make a lot of money. It broke my heart the day that I heard Nicolas Cage was going to star in one of the Left Behind movies, I have to say. I'm not... It's very surprising because I mean, he makes a movie a week or so, and he can't need the money. Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't think so. I uh, have to say, Michael, one of my favorite lines in the few interviews I've heard. I've heard you uh, interviewed um, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you, know, you refer to yourself as a constipated Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. The thing is, I'm not really. I'm, I'm, uh, and this is one of the great ironies: the British really are far more progressive and permissive than North Americans. With our sense of humor and irony and satire. I mean, I always think, you know, Canadian comedy, yeah, maybe I'll see that one day. Right. I mean, I don't mean to be mean, right. but uh, <laughs> we don't really have satire in, in this country. You know, this hour has 22 minutes. No politician should want to be on a satire show. Politicians should be terrified of right. satire Right, yes, yes. Uh, being, being cozy and making very, very soft. Well, this goes way back to your early roots, too, doesn't it? Yeah. So... So, but let's just let's just throw that into context. You, you know, your 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 comment about being constipated and an Englishman had to do with with being touched, though, on a, a very visceral, emotional, probably very spiritual level after having spoken at a, a gay church in Toronto. Well, yeah, it wasn't local; it was Metropolitan Community Church, the Church of Brent Hawkes, and, mm. and which is um, overwhelmingly gay, not exclusively so. And it, yeah, there, there was a juxtaposition going on. I was. Every day, every day, every hour, there were emails coming in saying that I was destined for hell mm, and wow. I was an adulterer or I was being blackmailed by my gay love or my children were gay or my wife was, had left me or I was a liar, I was a thief. I think and my then, favorite is homo-fascist. Um, yes. Oh, well, that's, that's quite a They use that a lot. Um, <laughs> I don't even know uh, what uh, that means. Sodo-fascist. Uh, I mean, and some of these people I knew... Wow. Uh, there wow. was a, a couple of them would, uh, well, one, in, I can't, I'm not going to name it, but one of them w was a journalist on, an, on a national newspaper, no longer. But um, they were, I mean, it was all, and so you know, I, I could cope with it, but um, all of that, uh, and then I went to a church full of people who, who I had not always been as kind as I should have been about, and I got a standing ovation of people just wanted to hug me and thank me. Wow. No, it, yeah. it's when you can, you know, it, it was so lovely, so beautiful. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, you get that sense sometimes. Uh, and it was like a sort of this safe. And it was very lovely. So we talked a little bit about this idea of, of you know, an, uh, a, a notion of a Catholic truth. We've talked, you know, this idea that there are these types of truths that people seem to think that they have, I guess, uh, privileged access to, which I, I kind of tossed out years ago. Um, and I think I kind of alluded to this idea of listening in an earlier question. I mean, was your was your epiphany really about listening, Michael? I mean, did you have to 
peel back. I mean, you talk about it being incremental, I think, in the introduction of the book and mm. how, you know, this, this is never one thing, right? It's a series of relationships. It's people, it's insights, yeah. it's books, it's film, it's art, it's all these things. But was it really about listening a little closer to others and saying, this is going to let me stand outside this notion of truth that I currently work within? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's listening instead of speaking and it's watching. And uh, it's very difficult to quantify. Mm. And no one has a monopoly. I mean, I'm very careful. There's arrogance on the left and the right. There's, sure. There is um, uh, condescension uh, as well. But with me, it was a series of events, and I don't really know what happened. I mean, maybe it was age, too. Um, my yeah, I no longer had many particular ambition. It was just an age, and I thought, well, I wanted to cut down on my journalism. It was amusement. He was always doing this because he, he, he wants to do this job or that job. I don't actually want to do any job. I'd rather just stay at home and do, and do nothing. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> That's going to be the soundbite from our interview, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. It's also, though... Um, I mean, there were a series of particular events that certainly pushed me. Yeah. And yeah. it was also, and, I, and I've got to be straight about this, but, you know, it, it did, it cost me. Now, I mean, I, I, it's the sort of thing I would do. I don't really want to talk about that issue, but it's when people said we did this for money. And I always I had to defend myself because that is so outrageously untrue in that I could have carried on as I was and I I would be at probably about seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year wealthier than I am now, mm. because I had when I left, I left the Catholic Church, I lost all of my Catholic columns and speaking engagements. Uh, I left because of the, of the gay issue mainly, but just on the gay issue itself, I was a guest regular guest host of One Hundred Huntley Street. They fired me from that. Uh, I I was all sorts of things. It just no. I mean, I lost every single speech, and so um, I knew that it would come at a cost. I didn't know it'd be quite that bad be honest with you, but I knew it would have some sort of mm -hmm, financial mm -hmm. cost. And, you know, years ago when the, we were still paying off the house and the kids were younger, could I have done it? Now, and I'm being absolutely truthful with you, it's not that I calculated in such a way. Right. It's just, I suppose, I don't know, subconsciously I realized, may, I don't know. But in, in the end, I was thinking to myself, why haven't you done it yet? I mean, you, you can't go on like this. And look, at home, my, my wife is a Catholic still. Does she agree with me on everything? No, I, I'm quite critical of the Catholic Church in the book. I mean, I, I make the statement, and it's absolutely true, that between 30 and 50 percent of Roman Catholic clergy are gay, and many of those men are not celibate. Uh, I, I would never out anyone, but, I mean, I can think of a very prominent priest right now, <laughs> unbelievable, who I know, who I know, was a promiscuous, and I think probably still is, gay man, who could actually be very... Uh, difficult to those people who've resisted his advances. And, I, it, it, you know, faith is a hard thing. When, when, when you have to work and you have to live in that faith and the struggles every day, it's very difficult to do that when you know there are people who simply don't care. I mean, they, 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 they lie all the time. Part of, of what they are is lying. Well, and isn't this back to, you know, the hypocrisy, the inconsistency of it all, the, the absurdity, really, of, 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 of it all? And isn't, on some level, this about saying, as a Christian, you are a fallible human being, and mm -hmm. you, you are able to change your mind. You are able to say, I was wrong. And here's your quote. It's not that, quote, I was dishonest or disingenuous, but more than anything, I was dogmatic, close quote. I mean, isn't Quite that <laughs> what your epiphany, Michael, is really about? 
Yeah, I, I, I forgot I'd written that. I'm quite pleased with that. It's it, lovely. It, yeah. It's wonderful. It's, yeah. it's it's a philosophical thing, but yet, it, 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 but really, is this is why I think I'm going down this line of this, you know, the listening, this notion of Catholic truth. Hang on, guys, that's ridiculous. This is what we're what we're talking about here is is inclusion, is grace, is love, is acceptance. Yeah, I was defending defending dogma. I was defending an institution, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, uh, something else that really pushed me over, actually, was uh, this Pope. Now, this might surprise some people, not because I'm a great fan. Actually, I think a lot of the time, I think this Pope is appalling. <laughs> um, I think he's very unworldly. I, I don't think he has any idea of how people actually live, which is the case for most Roman Catholic right. clergy. Right. Are we really going to be told how to lead a married life, how to conduct ourselves sexually uh, by men who are invariably are sexually broken, uh, who are confused, who either put way too much importance or way too little importance on sex and sexuality, who make this cult, this fetish, if you'll excuse the pun, um, out, of, out of celibacy. Celibacy is wonderful when it's chosen. When it's enforced, it's terrible. Right, right. And I, I think, I mean, the Pope says things some, and I, I remember, for example, when he said that young people should stop watching so much television. It, it was a perfect example of a man who knows nothing about family life. If you have kids, you know, they don't watch te- none of, they don't watch TV. Kids don't watch TV anymore. Everything is on their on, on the the laptop on now on their pan on phone. their device. Yeah, I mean they don't. He doesn't get. I, I saw the other day. He said, "Blood sucking employers." There are people I know people who are who are earning um, about twelve thirteen hundred dollars a month under the table. And I thought to myself, "Well, my wife earns twelve hundred dollars a month, and actually it's taxed at the end." I mean, the, yes. Pope, this is how people, you've just found this out. <laughs> right. and do you remember the West Wing? There's a great episode where, where, where Jeb Bartlett is talking about the price of milk and he leans over to somebody and he goes, what, what, what is the price of milk today? <laughs> <laughs> like he has no idea, right? About well, yeah. how, the, how normal people live. Well, this is a thing. And yeah. uh, so this, I mean, he said some very good things about immigration and yeah. the environment and so on and the economy, but uh, when it comes to morality and sexuality, he, he's been dreadful. And people often quote this who am I to judge line, and I talk about this in the book, read what he actually said. He's speaking about one priest who had left a gay relationship to become celibate. He says, who am I to judge him? Mm. He goes on to condemn what he refers to as, as gay conspiracies and mafias and Masonic conspiracies. And when he was in the Philippines, he referred to gender theory, which is Catholic shorthand for equal marriage and compared our advocates of it to the Hitler youth. So let's get... Wow, but wow. This is really what changed me, because suddenly you had a pope who really came in and said, it doesn't matter. I mean, the dogma and the doctrine. I mean, yes, yeah, some matter, some doesn't. I mean, make a mess, make it up. And I thought, well, fair enough. So then, why so, should I be a Roman Catholic? So what the, the heck? Case, why bother? This is what fascinates me: is that so? So you know, you've, you you made a career out of sort of being dogmatic and having that 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 approach in in the way you presented yourself and the way you interviewed, I suppose. And yet, you you know, I've watched you interview many people over the years and thought they were, you know, very relational and very interactive and so on, and not not necessarily dogmatic. But what? No. But Michael, what? You know, what is it that allowed you to stand outside of that dogma and say, and, and you've, you've referred to quite a few different things here, because I'm thinking, you know, you're talking about the church ultimately being irrelevant. Again, your quote, well, what, what the heck are we going to do? Like, what, what does well, the church do about that? I, do, I, don't, I don't believe that, I mean, when I think of the church, now I think of the church with a small C, I mean, everybody who, who is in the, the great Christian community. But 
I also think it was supernatural. I think grace was involved. Mm. I really do think that there were miracles. I know there are people listening now who would say, oh, are you? <laughs> yeah, oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, said, but this is the thing. Um, I, I'm, I'm still, you know, one of these uh, religious maniacs. I believe in every word of the creed. <laughs> I, I believe in the virgin birth. I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. So you know, the people who think, oh, great, he's lost his faith. No, you know, my faith is stronger than ever. Yeah, which my is remarkable. Is a, is product yeah. of my faith. So um, the church is not, I mean, in many ways, the church is more relevant now than it's ever been. But we have to take the church. But in, if you like, we have to be Puritans. We have to purify mm, the mm. church. We have to get rid of of, of frauds like Ted Cruz and the rest of them. We have to get rid of, of you know, I mean, people like Franklin Graham, who say the most acid things, this is not Christ. This is not, I mean, and that's really what drove me almost to despair. Right. That I would constantly read of a man who said, include, embrace, don't judge, look at your own failings and not other people's. And yet that wasn't the life I was leading, the life I was living. Right. So it was, uh, it was, it, w- it wasn't, it wasn't guilt, it was conviction. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, you know, guilt, it's not one of the things I'm really into. Um, <laughs> I, I should really, because I'm half Jewish and I became a Catholic, so I should be basing it on guilt. <laughs> That's right. Not, not really. Um, I, mean, I do feel guilty that I hurt people. Yes. And right. yeah, that is there. And I haven't completely forgiven myself for that, but um, it so, wasn't guilt that changed me. So what is, what, you know, we're, we're going to probably wrap up here shortly, sadly, but um, what, uh, Michael, what is respectful disagreement? Because I think, I think there's a really profound insight here about, about the process that you've been through, about the, 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 the BS that's been thrown your way. I mean, every, it's everything but, it seems to me, respectful disagreement. Well, so some of it. I mean, you know, there are also people who did write to me. Uh, there are those people who said, look, I don't want to argue with you, my friend, and we, we disagree here, let's just move on. Mm. There were other people who disagreed respectfully, but then there are the others who disagree, and they're not abusive, but they quote Scripture, right? and they think you've never read Scripture before, and they make arguments that you, you've heard a hundred times, and they're very patronizing, and they always start off in the same way, uh, and it, it's very, so when I used to do a radio show, be amazed how many Nazis you know, write to you, and it would always start with something like, I don't know about the Second World War or the Holocaust at all, but I think, and then they have these 25 links to Holocaust denial sites. All this wow. Garbage. And wow. I'm, not, I'm not comparing them in terms of quality, but there are people who, who would begin with a very emollient, you know, I, I don't really know what I believe, but, and then they quote in Scripture. And I, so I would just write back and say, look, there's a whole chapter on Scripture in the book. Read the book. Read the yeah, book. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the I'm not saying these are the majority, but the vast, overwhelming majority of responses I received, it wasn't respectful dialogue. It was, I hate you. I want you to die. I want your wife to leave you, um, and so on. Truly truly astounding. It really is. Um, I'm going to read a quote here from, I think, one of your favorite authors uh, authors out of a book uh, called The Four Love. C.S. Lewis said, quote, Mm. if ever the book which I am not going to write as written. It must be the full confession of Christendom, of Christendom's specific contribution to the sum of human cruelty and treachery. Large areas of the world will not hear us till we have publicly disowned much of our past. Why should they? We have shouted the name of Christ and enacted the service of Moloch. Close quote. That's very good. I mean, he was, he was wonderful. And some people have said to me, well, you're a great Sears Lewis fan. He'd be ashamed. No, he wouldn't. Uh, C.S. Lewis of this age, he died in 1963. Uh, views can um, evolve, but the basic faith remains. But the product of that faith can evolve 
and change. And I honestly believe that if we can make full compensation and contrition for the way we treated gay people, it could be part of the great awakening of Christianity. Well, to say to say that a, the church is at a crossroads, small C or capital C, is is a bit of an understatement, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Russia, um, to a degree, but certainly China. I mean, the number of Christians in China, the number of Christians there are in the developing world, Africa, and so on, and they have their own issues of homophobia. But there are a lot of young people who are crying out to be heard. The evangelical world is about to face a crisis the likes of which it's never seen, because young evangelicals are not buying into the homophobia mm. of their parents. Mm. They're, they're asking questions. They want to talk about the environment. They want to talk about a new form of Christianity. Uh, so what is going to happen in a few years' time when these kids say, sorry, Mom, sorry, Dad, uh, I, I do like Christianity, but not what you're saying. Not what you're saying. And you know what, Michael? I think you've, you've, just, you've just shone the light on that, the darkness of, of dogma. Again, mm-hmm. just I mean, my, I've got an eight and ten year old, and I think the questions that we're starting to see are really questions about structure, about framework, about you know perspective, and and so on, and the stuff that 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 I grew up in saying, no, it's it's either this way, it's this way, or it's the highway, yeah, right, yeah. and mm-hmm. and and we have to get to a place where truth is more relational, it seems to me, and and less. Last question, and and then I I gotta let you go. You say in the book that you're very optimistic. <laughs> Tell me why. Well, I have to be, because I, I've, I've been given eternal life. <laughs> and I, I, I think as a Christian, you have to be. You, you mm. do have to. Um, I, I don't believe uh, it's an option. It's an absolute duty, and it should be inevitable anyway that you're optimistic, because it doesn't mean every day I wake up and say, yay, I'm awake again, isn't it wonderful? You know, often I wake up and I say, yeah, now what? And you can <laughs> right. be hurt, and you, know, you can be deflated by things. Yeah, but yeah. Not, I, am, I, I think the story has been written, has been told, and we know the ending. It's going to be okay. Um, and I also find it very uplifting that I, I feel I'm on the right side. Mm. I want to do more. I mean, in the years I have left, I, I, want, I really want to try and be a champion of a, of a liberal, progressive Christian. I write for the... I do, do a lot of column writing now, and I... Um, Trento Star, for example, the, the response I get from people, yes, there are those who just hate faith in Christianity. I don't really care, to be honest. I, mean, I really don't care. Um, and there are the crazies on the right. But I get emails from people that say, well, I left the church, and, but I didn't know Christianity was like that. And maybe mm. you'd be... Uh, the number of people who've approached me personally, and that is worth a thousand nasty letters. Right. A shift. Change in perspective. Michael Gorin's Gorin's uh, been our guest today and talking about uh, a whole lot of things, but mostly about his new book, Epiphany, A Christian's Change of Heart and Mind Over Same-Sex Marriage. Michael, thanks a lot for joining us. I really appreciate your time and your candidness and, 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 and all of your insights. My great pleasure. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 